you may never, <laughs> you may never see me the same again, okay? I, I'm doing this to be transparent, but also I have a feeling I'm not the only one who does things like this, so we'll see, all right? Uh, my wife and I have been married for almost 25 years, so in November it'll be 25 years. Woohoo! Um, and, and about three, year three or four, I, I, it's somewhere in that ballpark, in year three or four, she made for my birthday one time, she made uh, my favorite meal. Do my favorite meal, country fried steak, mashed potatoes, gravy, biscuits, baked beans. Bushes baked beans, by the way. Anyways, like I love, that's my favorite meal. Every year for my birthday, that's what my wife makes. That's my, that's my birthday present every year since I've, we've been together. Anyways, so this was, she was making this meal for me, which is a lot of work to make that. And then on top of it, she made a homemade cheesecake. Homemade cheesecake, man. That takes a lot of time. We had three kids under the age of four, or at least five. Like, our house was insane, and she took the time and effort to make all of this for me. Year three, four in our marriage. And in the midst of this love and, you know, this amazing gift, I did one of the dumbest, <laughs> rudest things ever, all right? Apparently, in my mind, there's this rule that uh, every cheesecake must be made with a homemade crust, and I critiqued her cheesecake. I totally, like I said, like in the, I, this rule apparently was so important to me that somehow I, I said something like, yeah, you know, I prefer homemade crust over the store-bought crust. <laughs> yeah, that, didn't, that wasn't too smart, okay? I did it, you know, I am totally accountable for the words that came out of that mouth, and I said it. To this day, she has not made me another cheesecake, <laughs> and I do not blame her whatsoever. How rude, right? I mean, just obnoxious, you little jerk. Like, I did all this for you, and you didn't make a homemade cheese, homemade crust, okay? Oh, yeah. Here's, here's where I'm going with this, okay? I, I'm not the only one who, I, I may be the only one who did that, but I'm not the only one who makes rules, and has rules in my head. And when other people don't play by my rules, then I sometimes struggle, right? And what if you think about God like he's a God of rules? And what if you think he's out to point out every single little bitty thing that you've ever done wrong? What if you think that he wants to tell you a list of rules? What are you probably going to do with a God like that? You're probably going to be distanced. Or you're going to feel really ashamed and burdened all the time, right? My wife did such a loving thing, and all I noticed was some silly rule in my head. And it forced me to not be graceful, but to be rude and a jerk. I had a choice, right? Jesus, your image of him matters. What you think about God matters because the pictures and the ideas and understanding that you have of God and of Jesus determines what you do with him which means determines the actions that you take in this lifetime to get to know him or to stay away from him. That's why this series is so important, because we want you to have a 4K image of who Jesus is and what that means that we need to do with him. If you've missed any of these messages, I really encourage you to open up the app or download the app and then go watch them or listen to the podcast, but check out those messages. Today we're kind of catching up because last week, if you remember, Jesus healed this guy who had been lame for 38 years, right? 
Uh, so he hadn't been able to use his legs for 38 years, and Jesus just instantaneously heals him, like, boom, he's good. And as soon as this guy regains use of his legs, what does he do? Well, of course, he goes and runs and, like, jumps up and down all through the town and city and the temple, like, shouting, I'm healed, I'm, my legs work, right? In my mind, you know, I'm picturing him going through, like, the city streets and getting people to do the wave, you know, like, woo, like, it's a party, it's amazing, it's life-changing what just happened. Jesus just healed me. And in this, in the middle of all of this celebration and this excitement of this miracle, get these Jewish leaders. And they noticed the guy was carrying a mat. Hmm. Thanks, guys. <laughs> That's all you could see? This miracle happens, and the guy's carrying a mat. Kind of like the cheesecake. Yeah, it wasn't homemade crust. Before you get too mad at them, you need a little backstory, all right? So this was Saturday, and in Ju- for Jews, Friday evening to Saturday evening, it's what's called the Sabbath. It's a holy day of worship and rest that uh, they do every week. They celebrate every week, and it was actually ordained by God. God gave them and created the Sabbath. Exodus chapter 20 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, your daughter, male servant, female servant, livestock, sojourner who is within your gates, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In Deuteronomy 5, when he retells the Ten Commandments, he adds this little note on to the Sabbath. He says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So God ordained, instituted the Sabbath. So it was from him. And we notice five things from the very beginning about this Sabbath. Number one, remember. They were commanded to not forget. They were commanded to remember. Like you have to remember this. It's that important. I'm commanding you to remember it. Number two, it says keep it holy. Keep it holy. What does keep it holy mean? Holy means to be set apart for a specific purpose and tension. What was the specific intention and purpose that God said? unto the Lord your God. So set this aside specifically, intentionally, purposefully to the Lord your God. Three, one out of seven. There's a rhythm to this. Work six days, take one off. Work six days, take one off. It's a pattern that's supposed to be consistently repeated over time. Four, don't cheat. Don't cheat. He knows us. He knows us so well that when he tells us to do something, we're going to try to find loopholes to get around it, right? And what was happening, people started, I am smart. I'm not going to do any work. I'll just put like a little device on the ox, the horse, right? The animal that's doing work in my garden. And I'll put a little device on their head that dangles a carrot out in front of the ox. And guess what? I'm not working. The ox is just walking, you know? I don't know. He's just doing that. I'm not working finding loopholes. And so God made it very clear, like, don't cheat. I know you. You're going to cheat. Don't do things as normal on this day. This is a special day to not do things as normal, to rest. Set this aside for me. And then five, what are we to remember? That God created, God rested, and God saved. He created the world. You did not. I did not. 
He rested, which probably means I might need to rest. He's doing something here. And three, he saved. He saved his outstretched mighty arm. He saved Israel from Egypt. And he he has the power to continue to save. So God gave this Sabbath to people to be a reminder of these things. So he, he, he knew that we needed to be reminded that it's not only your toil, your work. If you just work seven days a week, 365 days of the year, you're going to get what you need. No, it's not because of what you can provide. We need to be reminded it's what he has provided and can provide. He is the source of our provision and salvation. And Jesus correctly taught this in Mark. He said the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. God does not need the Sabbath. God did not need to rest as in needed rejuvenation. God does not need to remember what he's done. God does not need to set aside time to remember and worship himself. God is God. He created the Sabbath as a gift to the humans that he created in his own image because he knew that we were going to need to rest. He knew that we were going to think that if I just work, I'm going to get what I need. If I just work, I can provide all that I will ever need. He knew we needed to remember that he is the source of our provision and our salvation. So he set up the Sabbath. It was not intended and never given as a burden or as a religious act. If you just do this, then you will get something. It was intended to say, like, literally, plainly, if you set aside this day and worship me in a special way, then I'm going to you're going to be blessed in a special way. But Jesus comes along 1,500 years later and things have changed. Here's the big idea for today that we're going to unpack. Jesus is God and provides the rest that you need. Jesus is God and provides the rest that you need. I don't know if you've realized this or not, but busyness and technology has created probably the most anxious and stressed out society ever. We don't rest. We don't stop. We keep going and working and adding more to the calendar, more experiences so that our kids will be well-rounded, so that our family will be whatever. We go and go, and then when we do stop and we rest, we pull out our phones, and what do you do? You look to see what you've missed out on, what you could do. Even our rest isn't restful. We need rest, but not just physical rest, rejuvenation. We also need spiritual rest because we think We have to work to overcome our past mistakes, to earn something, to do something, to fix things. And we act as if I'm the only person in the universe that really I can count on. And I just need to keep doing stuff to make sure that my family's taken care of, to make sure I'm taken care of, to make sure everything is taken care of. And we don't rest. We never stop intentionally to make sure wait a minute, who really provides what I need? We don't stop. We don't value rest. We value work. We value production. Even our vacations and spending time away, we value what it does for us, not rest, not remembering God. He said we needed this. 1,500 years later, Jesus comes, and this gift that was given not to be a burden, not to be a weight around people's neck, became a weight around people's neck. It became, as in like the Rolling Stones, you know, their words, like a beast of burden, right? 
they made literally hundreds and hundreds of rules, the Jewish leaders, because God did say, don't work, right? Don't work on the Sabbath. Well, what is work? That's a legitimate question. Am I working? Am I not working? And so they literally made hundreds, hundreds of rules about what is work and what is not. Is tying a knot work? Have you ever asked that question? Probably not. Well, they did, and they had an answer. Only knots that you could untie with one hand were acceptable on the Sabbath. On Friday in the afternoon, you could tie that knot, but on Saturday, that would be deemed as work. Can you cook on the Sabbath? Not if you needed to produce some kind of heat. If you needed to kindle a fire or create a fire, no, that's considered work. Some of the rules included you cannot perform any kind of business transactions. You cannot garden. You cannot do laundry. You cannot move an object. You cannot write or erase. <laughs> you cannot move an object six feet, more than six feet in a public space. You couldn't move anything with your hands, your bare hands. So if, you, like if something fell and broke, you couldn't clean it up with your hands. You couldn't put a candle on the table, right, to provide light. You should have done that on Friday. Like, but there was a loophole. You could move things with your elbow. I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. You could move things with your elbow or with your breath. Like, like you could do that, okay? They found loopholes. This, this is the insanity of a life of rules. You can't make a rule for everything and every exception, and so you just make more rules that don't make more sense. And before you get too caught up in laughing and being upset with these evil rule-making people, we're, people, we're going to come back to this because I think we all have a propensity to make rules. We say we hate rules, and yet we make rules so stinking quickly, man. We do. So we're going to come back to this. But this is what was happening. And in this context, those Jewish leaders saw that mat. That, that guy was carrying the mat. That means he was working. Another rule was this, if you got sick, if your kid or your animal was sick on the Sabbath, you, what do you do about that? They had a rule. They, if it was life and death, if it was a life-threatening thing, then you could attend to it. If it was not life-threatening, then you could not make it get better. There was no healing on the Sabbath. So in other words, if you got like a cut or something, you could stop the bleeding, but no neosporin, no medicine of any kind. You couldn't help it get better. You could only stop it from getting worse. I'm not kidding. And so in this context... They found out Jesus told this guy to pick up that mat. And Jesus worked on the Sabbath. Why? Because he healed the guy. So they questioned Jesus, why did you break the Sabbath? But he never did. He didn't break the Sabbath. He didn't break God's commands. These were man-made rules that had been added in the 1,500 years after God gave them the Sabbath. And Jesus replies to them, responds to them with this simple phrase. He says, I, my father, is working until now, and I am working. And that may not mean anything to us, but that was a game changer. It was, this is one of those statements that forever changed Jesus' life. Because those Jewish leaders knew exactly what Jesus was saying. It was very common to address God as our father. He's our father. You know, our father you know, if you said that, you know, like the Lord's Prayer kind of thing, our Father who art in heaven kind of thing, our Father. But Jesus said, my Father. They knew exactly what he was claiming. He was claiming to be God, equal with God. And they were offended. And so then, almost the rest of the chapter, Jesus is like, listen, I, I, I want to show to you that I'm, I'm not making this up. 
I've been proving to you that I am who I say that I am, and here's all of the proofs and witnesses. And so he says, listen, I am only doing what the Father does. I'm not doing anything on my own, which means the Father approves of him healing this guy on the Sabbath, which was tough for them to to listen to. He says, I am equal to the Father in authority. I am able to judge. God allows me to judge. I am going to judge and can judge because I have the authority of God. He says, I have the power equal with God because I can heal. I can raise the dead to life. And you kind of saw those images in the, in the video when they were reading the text. Those were some of the miracles that Jesus had done when he raised that little girl for life, to li- from life, I mean, from death to life. So Jesus has not just the ability to raise the physical dead to physical new life, but the spiritual dead to spiritual new life, salvation. He was claiming to have all of the power and authority that God has. And he says there's only one appropriate response. When you know who I am, when you recognize in 4K clarity that I am my Father, that I am God, he says that you should honor me. And that's in verse 24, I believe. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. If you know who I am, you would honor me, just like you honor God, to the Jewish leaders. He's proving it to them. He says, listen, if you don't believe me because of all the proof that I've given you, and from my testimony, my personal testimony, what about the other witnesses? Then he mentions John, John the Baptist that we've talked about before in previous messages. John the Baptist, you guys, the religious leaders, had examined him, tested him, and proved that he is good, that he's trustworthy. Well, John knew who Jesus was, and he said he's the real deal. So there's another witness. And what about the works that I've done, the miracles that I've performed? They're a second witness. Nicodemus, one of the religious leaders, um, just a couple chapters ago, if you remember, he went to Jesus and he said, I have seen the works that you've done, which prove to me that I know that you're from God. So his works, his miracles prove that he is. That's another witness. And then the third witness, which would have been, should have been the most important and most powerful to these Jewish religious leaders, is the actual word of God. Because the Jewish leaders prided themselves on knowing, memorizing, studying the Word of God, which would have been the Old Testament for them. And he says to them, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. They knew the Word of God, but they didn't know the God of the Word. They, they thought they had life. They thought they had righteousness by memorizing from their knowledge And yet they were missing that life, even though he was standing right in front of them. Seeing everything that he had done. Hearing his words. They didn't believe him. They missed out on the life that was right in front of them. And even scarier than that, they thought they were righteous. They thought they were at peace with God. They were spiritually dead. That's scary. Because these people devoted their time to God. They were very religious and righteous. And and then Jesus says something that would have been very difficult for them to 
to, to take on a personal level. This would have been tough. He says, do not think that I'm going to accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is painful for them because like, there was nobody greater, no human greater than Moses to the Jewish people. Moses was the guy that God used to bring the people of Israel out of slavery from Egypt. He was the guy that God used to write a lot of the Old Testament that they had memorized and studied. And it was in Moses' words that they had their faith in. And Jesus says, it's not me that's going to accuse you, it's Moses. Because Moses told you who I am. Moses gave you the words that you needed. And if you won't listen to Moses' words, this is scary to me. He says, you won't believe mine. And I can be honest, just on a personal level, that's scary. Is there something that I or you have become so attached to that you want or think so badly that it would be more important to you that you would miss out on God if he showed up right in front of you, performed miracles right in front of you, gave you all kinds of truth, right, and you would miss it. Does that hit home? They missed. All of us, a lot of times, like, man, if Jesus would have done that to me, I'd have, well, be careful. Are there things that you're more connected to than the word? Are there things that you're more connected to than Jesus? Because he's right there and they miss out on him. And I bet there's not too many people in this room that know God's word more than these guys or listening and watching online. This is scary. They miss out on Jesus when he's right in front of them. The Sabbath, which was a gift that was given to them from God, and Moses' words that were a gift to the people like the word of God was a gift that was intended to give them life and yet it had become an instrument of the devil to bring death this man made stuff and I think this one hits home for millions if not billions of people this man made religion thing right I've heard the same story from countless people whether they're former Muslims uh, Hindu um, atheist agnostic uh, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, I don't care what flavor you come from. Like, it's the same story, man. I got into this religion thing, and these man-made rules made it hard for me to meet Jesus. Or people get into it, and then they love to tell people about their new rules that they found and make it hard for other people to find this Jesus that they got to find. Have you been there? I bet a lot of you are like, yeah, I've experienced that. There's this thing, article I read, it was a long time ago now, I don't know, many years ago, and I don't, I don't know if it's the true or not. I just, I just remember when I read it, it just ooh, it pierced my heart a little bit. I'm like, I'm going to start praying for that. And so I've been praying every Wednesday, almost every Wednesday since then. It's an article that said 40% of all Catholics who walk away from Mass, like from, I'm, I'm done, like I'm just done with it, never, never go back to any church or religion whatsoever. They're done with God completely. 40%. That's scary to me. That's sad. That's really sad. I was in an elders meeting. I was called into an elders meeting one time. Not here. It was a different church. I was called to the elders meeting, and the purpose of this elders meeting, apparently, I found out when I got there, was to talk about these teenagers that were coming to the church that were wearing inappropriate shirts, skateboarding on our concrete, and some of them were smoking. Now, 
Oh, the elders smoke, just letting you know. I'm just saying. But I know some of these young people were underage. And so that entire meeting was to come up with a list of rules that forevermore our youth events would have to adhere to. Never once did we get to, they didn't, nobody asked for any of those kids' names. Never once did we talk about their relationship with Jesus. Never once did we, they want to know about their relationship with their family and what their home life was like. They just wanted to make rules. That crushed me. And I bet you have stories like that. But I want to be careful because it's so easy to point out the flaws in other people. Where do you make rules? Where do you make rules? Has anyone ever been told that you can't swim until 30 minutes after you've eaten? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know it changed my life when I found out that that was just a lie? Like that was just a made-up thing? That's crazy. I was teaching my kids that. I literally thought something bad would happen to them at 30 minutes. It wasn't even true. How many rules do we pass on just because we heard them? These religious leaders didn't make them up. They were already made up. They were learned. They were taught them. How many rules do we pass on like we don't even think about that aren't really real? They just are cozy for us. How many rules do we make just to make my life easier? How many times do we think or say, don't worry about it, just do what I say? Don't worry about the why, just do what I say. Or, ah, you don't need to know the why. Trust me, I know what's best. We don't want to really get into the whys and the heart behind things and try to have a conversation. It just makes it easier for me to tell you what to do because I have a power and authority and I can do this, and so I'm going to make a rule. So, again, be careful about looking at these religious leaders and pointing out their flaws. Maybe, just maybe, we have a propensity to make rules as well. And, and I sure hope that in the beginning when they were creating these rules that it was out of love. Maybe, you know, like you make, God said don't do this. And so if I make three other layers of protection, and so if you break this rule, at least it's going to protect you from breaking the one that's really going to hurt. You know, you don't want your kid to touch the hot stove. And so then you make rules so they can't even get near the hot stove. When mom's in the kitchen or dad's whatever, you can't even get near the kitchen. And so they get in trouble for something that doesn't matter because you don't want them to touch the stove. But what we pass on possibly is this rule, not the heart behind it. And again, I'm not saying right or wrong with that little thing. I'm saying that you understand that sometimes we create rules because we think we're trying to help. I hope it started out like that for them, but at some point it wasn't. And it was controlling and power. And they made sure everyone know, knew that they were doing something wrong. So they needed someone to pray for them, someone to go to confess things to. And that gave them control. And that's scary. And instead of pointing people to God, it was leading people away from God. It was making it very difficult for people to come to God. And in this, this is, is Jesus' words, Matthew chapter 11. Jesus did not come to give us more rules. He said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Understand, Jesus said there's only one way to heaven, it's through him. That's pretty extreme. And he said his yoke is light. What is a yoke? Jesus, in his day, the rabbis were like a, like a, a teacher, 
would have these like different rules or ways of living. So if you were to follow this rabbi, uh, then you would follow his way of living, his rules in a sense. And they would often call that a yoke. And so if you were to follow this rabbi, you would take on the yoke of this rabbi. A yoke is like a farming instrument. It's a tool that you would put on animals so that you can attach other farm equipment to and you can control the animals as they are working in your fields. That's a yoke. That was the imagery. So you would take on the rabbi's yoke. And these rabbis were making hundreds and hundreds of rules. They were making a very heavy yoke. It was a heavy burden. And so you constantly felt like you weren't good enough. You constantly felt like and understood that you weren't right with God. And so you needed a rabbi. Kind of like my cheesecake when I noticed the one negative thing for whatever reason. I made up some silly thing. That's what was happening. And Jesus says, listen, guys, you're all working so hard to find this peace, this rest, spiritual rest and peace, and I'm the one who provides it. Those religious leaders were leading people away from, not to, and even the religious leaders that knew God's word more than anyone else missed out on the life that Jesus came to provide. He said, my yoke is light. Come to me so I can provide you that rest. Once again, our big idea is Jesus is God and he provides the rest that you need. We no longer are under the Sabbath law, the command. That's one of the Ten Commandments that's not repeated after Jesus in the New Covenant. The early believers and Christians began to worship, set aside a special day on the first day of the week. They called the Lord's Day Sunday, which is actually a very powerful proof to the resurrection. Why would so many devout Jews break the tradition, the command to worship not on the Sabbath, Saturday, but on Sunday. That was punishable by death. Why would so many change that tradition? Because they met the resurrected Jesus. See, why do they call it the Lord's Day? That was the day that Jesus rose from the grave, Sunday. And that's what the early disciples taught, 1 Corinthians. And if, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If in Christ we have hope in this life, only we are of all people most to be pitied. More than 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus. At least we know of 12 of the original apostles, 12 of the apostles that followed Jesus, gave up their life, were tortured, beaten, and killed because they were preaching the resurrection. All they had to do is say, I'm kidding, made it up, just messing around. They could have stopped the torture, the beating, probably preserved their life, and yet they didn't. Who does that for a lie? Powerful proof for the resurrection. They knew who Jesus was, and because they found out who Jesus was in 4K clarity, they honored him like God, and they worshiped him. The resurrection is what all of what Jesus said hinges on. Proves that he is who he says he is, which is what he told those Jewish rabbis. You haven't seen anything yet, because there's going to come a day very soon when he was going to be rose, risen from the grave. We are no longer under the Sabbath command but we still need a Sabbath rest. That's what the author of Hebrews tells us. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. There's an eternal Sabbath to come when Jesus comes back, an eternal Sabbath in heaven will be with him and restful. But even now on this earth, there's a Sabbath rest for us to, to rest from our works that only God can do. 
You are not the only one that is here to provide for you and your family. You are not the one that can provide spiritual rest or peace. Only God can. We need the Sabbath rest in our lives, not just for physical rejuvenation, but for understanding who God is and who I am and that I'm not alone and that He provides things that I cannot provide. He does things that I cannot do. And so if we pass on this idea of keep working and doing more and filling those calendars and getting better grades and getting better jobs and making more money and fixing the past problems and fixing every relationship and it's all about what we can do, we're passing on things to the next generation that might not get them what you hope it will get them. It may just make them even more stressed out and anxious. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, not go do more. Religion often leads people to do more, to work harder, to get something that they can't get. And you often miss out on the relationship with God. If that's you and you're here, man, I just want you to know you've heard what God's Word said, what Jesus said. He comes not to add more of a burden on you, but to take that yoke off and replace it with His. Listen, it ain't easy being like Jesus, but it's worth it. And if he is who he says he is, then he can provide what he says he will provide. So maybe you're here today and watching or listening online and you want to say yes to this Jesus. Say, I want to know more about this Jesus. Please text us, email us your name. We'd love to connect with you, help you take that next step, whatever it may be. If you're here in person, you can come up forward or you can text and email us. So I have some friends, decision coaches up here to pray with you or help you take whatever next step, maybe even get you ready for your baptism because one of the things that Jesus promised before he took off, he said, you know, I'm going to send you a helper. It's the Holy Spirit. And when all those who confess Christ as their Lord and are baptized, you receive the Holy Spirit. And it's called our helper. Are you ready to get some help? That's what he wants to provide. Christians in the room or watching and listening online, I want to get very personal. Or I just want to be honest with you for a second. A way that maybe you've already said yes to Jesus and it's wonderful. But maybe right now you need to ask this question. Have you made the Lord's day a priority? in your life? Is this just something that we do to gather when it's convenient, when it's easy, when it fits my schedule? Is it just something you check off your box and I did it and I go home, or is this actually a priority? Listen, I don't know. Only you know. Are you coming here to truly worship God and give Him rest and time and focus and attention, or is this just something that you add into your busy day in your family and you get it over with? Listen, I, I don't know. I've got to ask the same question for my life, but that's what I, I see from Jesus. The other thing you've got to ask is this. Are you following man-made laws, rules? Are you creating man-made rules for everybody else and yourself? Are you putting a heavy yoke on other people? Are you making it more difficult for people to find Jesus in the midst of all of our man-made rules? Because so many Christians come to a building and sit in a certain style of seats, pews or chairs, padded or not, they listen to a certain style of music with certain types of instruments. They go and sit into a room where they are taught God's Word in different ways. And if that's the way that you learned it and you taught it, then you go tell other people that that's the way you should learn it. And if you learn it in any other different way or if you listen to any other kind of music with different instruments, then you're wrong and evil. And we just love to make rules, don't we? Are you making rules? 
for others that aren't really rules, that are man-made. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. And an appropriate response to God's word is always to go to him, right? So I encourage you to pray alongside of me. You can pray silently wherever you are and believe that he is listening, that he is here. And if he cares about you, then you can say whatever you need to say to him. What do you need to say to him? Maybe you need to confess something. Maybe you need to just, you know, point out and say thank you. I, I don't know. What do you need to say to him right now? Maybe you need to say yes to him finally. And to say, yes, I want to follow you. And I don't know what that means, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try. I don't know. I don't know what you need. Right now, I just encourage you to pray alongside of me. So let's do that. Hey, God, thanks for loving us. Thanks for your word that makes it so abundantly clear who you are. And whether it's what I, I want to hear or what I like, I know that it's what I need to hear. God, thank you for such clarity on who you are, that Jesus is the son of God, that you lived the perfect life, that you died on that cross to pay the punishment that I deserved. And God, you were able to do what I am not able to do. I cannot overcome my past mistakes. You have. You are bigger than the troubles that we face. God, I'm so sorry for the times that I've made rules, when I've made my life easier and, and made it more difficult for others to find you. I don't want to do that. And I, if there's anybody in this room or watching online, if that's us, if that's you, then God, I pray that you convict us. And we point people to you, not to ourselves. If there's any of us that got to have lost the priority, the importance to remember you, to rest and worship you, and to set time aside to make you known, to worship, to love you, to remember that you created, you saved, then convict us. We want to pass that on to others because that is what we need. And if you're watching or listening here and, and maybe today is the day that you know what, you you didn't know this about him, but you want to follow him or you want to know more about him, then I pray that you just take that next step and, and say yes to Jesus and let us help you take those next steps so that you can you know, place your faith in, faith in Christ and, and receive that helper, the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do this alone. And I pray that you would use all of us to win this world for you, man. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Another way to respond is called communion. Jesus established this meal with the early church when they were meeting on that Lord's Day. And they, they got together. And the purpose of this meal is to remember. To remember that because Jesus is who he says he is and he rose from the grave, then he is able to do what he said he would do. And he is able to overcome death, our final enemy, and forgive us from our sins. Remove our sins from us and make us righteous. Not because of anything that we do or deserve, but because of what he did. And so that bread, when you, you can get the communion when you come in each week, that bread represents his body and the juice represents his shed blood. And this is a time to remember, to remember that he saves. If you're a Christian, then I encourage you to take this, to remember him. If you're not, then I'm so glad that you were here. And maybe I'll ask you this question, do you need some rest? Well, here's a few moments when the music is playing, you can rest, you can reflect, you can meditate on what you heard today and consider what next step. You can text, email us, or come to the front to meet with someone to talk or, or to pray with. So use this time.